This episode is brought to you by Choiceology, an original podcast from Charles Schwab. Hosted by Katie Milkman, an award-winning behavioral scientist and author of the best-selling book, How to Change, Choiceology is a show about the psychology and economics behind our decisions. Hear true stories from Nobel laureates, authors, athletes, and everyday people about why we do the things we do. Listen to Choiceology at schwab.com slash podcast or wherever you listen. What is it about true crime that you think is more compelling to you than other kinds of stories? You know, it's life and death, right? I mean, it's how do we handle our aggression? How do we handle our anger? What are the rules? for our society. And it's only in sort of seeing who breaks them and how and how they get away with them that you can kind of really see that. Welcome to How To. I'm Charles Duhigg. Each week on this show, we hear from someone who needs help investigating a problem. And then we look for the best experts to give them some advice. This week, however, we're diving into a different kind of investigation. You'd heard of Zodiac Killer. You'd heard of Son of Sam. The Golden State Killer is one of the most prolific, violent, serial rapists, and eventually a murderer. True crime is more popular than ever these days. There's hundreds of TV shows and documentaries and, of course, podcasts. This is a global tell link prepaid call from... Adnan Sayed. Hi, Crime Junkies. I'm your host, Ashley Flowers. Let's get cozy and comfy and okay. cuddle up and yeah. talk about murder. Some true crime podcasts are serious and others are funny, but but the most surprising thing about all these shows isn't the plot twists or the oddly charismatic villains, but rather how much people love to obsess about these crimes that happened years ago. The podcast My Favorite Murder, for example, has hundreds of thousands of fans, many of whom attend multi-day festivals and call themselves murderinos, which is a little bit weird if you ask me. But I'm a true crime fan. Like, I love those podcasts, and I understand how people get so obsessed. But what happens when this obsession gets to the next level? Because our listener this week, she doesn't want to just listen to the story of a murderer. She wants to tell it herself. Hi, guys. My name is Jen. I'm a novice podcaster getting started on my first true crime podcast. Jen lives in upstate New York, where she works in HR, and she says she started listening to true crime podcasts just as a way to pass the time at work. And then she got hooked, and now she listens to multiple podcasts every day. And that's what got her thinking about this one murder case in her own backyard, a case that went all the way back to 1987. So there was a young girl, her name was Carrie. Uh, She was abducted on her way home from the grocery store, and for approximately seven years, she was missing. Um, And it turns out she was actually murdered the same night that she disappeared. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Why is this particular case so interesting to you? Is a case that happened in my hometown. It actually occurred the year before I was born. And it happened on the same street that my elementary school was on. It, um, the store that the victim left was the store that my mom actually worked at. Um, so it, it's something that was kind of a part of my childhood and it changed the community that I grew up in forever. So Jen wants to know what happened because the guy who murdered Carrie, he wasn't caught for seven years. 
How did he get away with it for so long? And just to be clear, this episode is not for would-be murderers. But by examining how some murderers get away with their crimes, we can learn something about why they occur and why they so frequently go unpunished and, and hopefully prevent other crimes from happening in the future. And that's one reason why Jen wants to make her podcast, but she doesn't know where to start. So on today's episode, we'll bring on a veteran crime writer who spent years investigating a string of murderers and learned a lot about how criminals operate. She'll help Jen figure out who to talk to and where to look for clues. But telling this story might not be as simple as Jen thinks. More after this quick break. Reboot your credit card with Apple Card, the only credit card designed for iPhone. It gives you up to 3% daily cash back on every purchase. Plus, Apple Card has no fees, not even hidden ones. Apply for Apple Card now in the Wallet app on iPhone. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA Salt Lake City Branch, subject to credit approval. Variable APRs for Apple Card range from 19.24% to 29.49% based on credit worthiness. Rates as of February 1st, 2024. Terms and more at AppleCard.com. This episode is brought to you by Choiceology, an original podcast from Charles Schwab. Choiceology is a show all about the psychology and economics behind our decisions. Each episode shares the latest research in behavioral science and dives into themes like, can we learn to make smarter decisions and the power of do-overs? The show is hosted by Katie Milkman. She's an award-winning behavioral scientist, professor at the Wharton School, and author of the best-selling book, How to Change. In each episode, Katie talks to authors, historians, athletes, Nobel laureates, and everyday people about why we make irrational choices and how we can make better ones to avoid costly mistakes. Listen and subscribe at schwab.com podcast, or find it wherever you listen. We're back with Jen, who's trying to figure out how to investigate a murder that happened in her town three decades ago. And Jen thinks the right place to start is at the end of the story, when the murderer was finally caught. The confession actually only came after um, the perpetrator had been caught for some bank robberies that he had committed. Wow. Was this, was he like a local person or was this? Yep. Um, He grew up in the same town that that it occurred in. And then he had moved to Maine with his family and then had come back and forth. This guy, the, the murderer, he had come back to Jen's town for a vacation one summer when he kidnapped Carrie and then sexually assaulted and killed her. She was just 16 years old. The murder shocked the town, but for a long time, no one knew who was responsible. Until seven years later, this guy was caught committing a bank robbery and he confessed to murdering Carrie. Do you know Carrie's family? Yes, I do. You do, and how how were they affected by this? Um, I think the only way that they could have been, it's disbelief and pain that is just on a whole nother level. If he hadn't been caught for the bank robberies, he would have gotten away with it. And it, it just blows my mind How was this man able to get away with this for so long? Let's say we were able to answer that question. Why do you think that matters? Because I think it's important that we know where the misstep was. If I'm able to put 
out that kind of information about this case, it might be another way to look at crime, to be able to solve them before it's seven years down the road of a family questioning what happened. Carrie's murder is in jail, but he regularly comes up for parole, which is part of why Jen wants to make this podcast right now. The perpetrator is actually on a two-year parole schedule, and he is eligible for parole in January. So I'm hoping to get my podcast recorded and posted to help raise awareness in our community. And so Jen needs to figure out who to talk to first. And one big part of telling the story, obviously, could be talking to the murderer himself, figuring out why he did this and how he got away with it. Jen, do you, th- do you think you'll go talk to him? To be honest, no, I don't. Why, why not? I don't know that I feel comfortable with my investigative skills at this point to be able to have a conversation with him and hear him for what he is saying. I, I don't think I'm ready to look at someone that I know has committed a, a pretty terrible murder and not feel all the feelings that I feel. And so we found a professional, someone who knows how to chase down what happened and tell a story like this the right way. I was a reporter at a big city newspaper for a long time. And so we write about crime, you write about the school board. And for a long time, what I did was investigative reporting. This is Jessica Garrison, now a senior editor of investigations at BuzzFeed News. A few years ago, she was working at the LA Times when a small news item caught her attention. I heard about this case, a contract killer who was being extradited from Alabama to California um, to face charges on nine murders. And I just read a little snippet about it, that this person was from a very small town in California's San Joaquin Valley. And I remember thinking, huh, how can you be a contract killer and get away with murder after murder after murder living in a town of like 4,000 people? I mean, you can't get away with anything in those towns. Jessica got so interested in answering that question that she decided to write a book, which she named The Devil's Harvest. And the book follows the story of that contract killer, a guy named Jose Martinez. And Jessica remembers a few years ago when she first saw Martinez at one of his court hearings. I walked in and there were, you know, eight or nine or 10 or 12 defendants in court that day. You know, it was mostly violent crime. And so a lot of the defendants in court were very kind of tough looking. And then there was this older gentleman um, sitting kind of quietly in the back and They finally called his case, and when they called his case, they called his name, and then they said, you know, they called out the California Penal Code for murder is 187. And they were just like, 187, 187, 187, 187, 187. And one by one by one, all these very tough people turn and look at this kind of older gentleman with shock on their faces. And I thought, this is fascinating. The thing that surprised Jessica the most as she investigated Martinez was realizing that there were like these two people living inside of him. There was this cold-blooded contract killer, and then this delightful, loving relative who, who would take care of his grandchildren. 
There's the time that he allowed the little girls to put avocado on his face and give it, give him a facial because they wanted to learn how to do facials and then ate the avocado. There's the time he like one of, you know, the children in his life had like won something special at school and he went immediately to the store and bought a cake to celebrate it. There are a lot of stories of just kind of like warmth and kindness that are very, very, very hard to square with the absolute brutality that you hear about in the murders. Martinez's job was collecting debts for criminal organizations, and part of that involved killing people who owed money to large-scale drug smugglers. That was his basic bread and butter, the thing that kept him employed. But in addition, he also committed a few murders in his free time for personal reasons. And then around about um, the winter of 2013, he went to Alabama to visit his daughter and his grandchildren. And his daughter, you know, had no idea that her dad was a contract killer. And she was, you know, raising her kids in Alabama. And he came out and he was kind of like Mary Poppins. I mean, he picked the kids up from school. Um, He would dress up like a Disney princess. He took them, you know, swimming. And while he was there, um, someone that knew his daughter but didn't know her that well and didn't know who he was um, mentioned that they had a debt to collect. And he was like, you know what? I'm really good at debt collection. Let me help. He had an ulterior motive, which is that he was a little bit concerned about his daughter's boyfriend. And so he figured he would go help this guy collect his debt and in the process, learn a little bit more about the boyfriend. So he gets in a car with the guy and he asks him, you know, what do you think about the boyfriend? And the guy made a terrible mistake because what he said was, oh yeah, the boyfriend's okay. But that blank he's with, I really don't like her Uh. talking about his daughter. And so Jose Martinez uh, killed him. Oh, my gosh. That's actually the murder that ultimately led to Martinez's downfall. And it happened in this roundabout, unlikely way. As investigators in Alabama were trying to figure out who had killed this guy, There was another set of investigators in Florida who were looking at a completely different case that had occurred a few years earlier. In 2006, Jose Martinez um, committed a double murder in Florida, and he left behind a cigarette butt with his DNA on it in a Mountain Dew can. And Florida police, for whatever reason, forgot to test this. And it sat untested until 2013. So about the same time that he was committing a murder in Alabama, Florida police were realizing, whoops, we never tested the cigarette butt. They ran it, it hit on him, and suddenly they had some DNA evidence. And so Martinez comes back to Alabama and he's nabbed for that murder. And the cops in Florida swoop in and say, actually, it seems like this guy has committed a lot of other murders as well. And at that point was like, you know what? I've got a bunch of murders in California I'd like to get off my chest. It's unclear why Martinez fessed up to everything. Perhaps he wanted to serve his time in California, or or maybe he wanted to escape Florida's death penalty. Regardless, Martinez tells police that he's been murdering people for over 30 years, and this is the first time he's ever been caught. How many people did he murder that we know of? The sort of round number figure that I think a lot of people go with is about 36. Whoa! Um, He's been convicted of 1, 2, 3, 12. Um, Wow. I know. It's a lot. That's a a lot. lot. It's a lot. 
you know, part of the reason you can get away with 36 murders is because he was by and large killing people who had no power. I think you see this over and over and over again in America, right? If you want to get away with murder, kill someone with no power. Um, because there just will not be that much pressure to bring you to justice. So this is our first lesson in how murderers get away with it. They choose victims who are powerless. Jessica says the majority of Martinez's victims were minorities and poor and often undocumented. And that's not unusual. The FBI's homicide database shows that a majority of murder victims in this country are people of color. And those might not be the stories you hear on the nightly news or, say, a true crime podcast. But that invisibility is exactly why their murderers so often go unpunished. And that raises some important questions, particularly for people like our caller, Jen, who's trying to figure out what stories we ought to tell and how to tell them. Jen, what do you, well, what do you think hearing this? It's a lot to take in. Uh, it, the fact that someone could end so many lives and then not be caught for it, that's terrifying to think about. When we come back, we'll try to figure out what to do with that terror. And you might be surprised by some of the answers. This episode is brought to you by Defender. For those who embrace the impossible, the Defender 110 is up for the adventure. This iconic vehicle has been redefined with thoroughly modern design. The exterior is reimagined with compelling proportions and precise detailing, and the interior is built with robust materials and integrity. The Defender capability is legendary. Whether you're facing off road challenges or harsh weather conditions, built for the modern explorer, the Defender 110 lets you go further and do more. And cargo capacity means more room for your gear. To drive the Defender is to explore with greater confidence. Powerful innovations like the intuitive driver display and award-winning infotainment system keep you connected. Innovative camera technologies deliver unobstructed views and effortless maneuvering. Ready for a wide range of adventures, the Defender family features the two-door Defender 90, the Defender 110, and the Defender 130, which seats up to eight. A vehicle made to go further, the Defender 110. Learn more at LandRoverUSA.com forward slash Defender. If you like this episode, allow me to suggest another one called How to Forgive the Unforgivable. Desmond Tutu's daughter, Empo Tutu Van Firth, shares the story of a murder in her own house and how she learned to forgive the man who did it. You can find it and all of our episodes by subscribing for free to our podcast feed. We're back with our listener, Jen, and our expert, Jessica Garrison, who just told us about a California contract killer who murdered more than 30 people and got away with it for decades. Jen, as you listen to this and you think about the killer who's kind of at the center of the story that you're going to be investigating. Does this sound familiar to you? Yeah, actually it does. And there was a newspaper article written about the perpetrator in my story. And it said two men reside in this man's body, a gentle outdoorsy do anything for a neighbor kind of guy. And then another side of him is a man who kills a neighbor's dog to test ammunition. Wow. And it's interesting to hear how common that is. 
Jessica says she's learned a few other things that murderers have in common, especially when it comes to how they avoid getting caught. Jose Martinez, in fact, had a list of rules. I mean, he, he's actually pretty specific about this. He's like, don't leave town. It makes you look guilty. Just like go on with your life. Try to get an alibi. Um, you know, he was killing, you know, often people to whom he had no obvious connection and no motive for wanting dead. You know, there was another murder that he confessed to that he did. And there was a witness um, who survived um, but was unable to identify him. So if you are going to have a witness, make sure the witness can't recognize you, wear a hat. You know, he he tended to kill people and not leave any physical evidence or, or much physical evidence. Um, the cigarette butt in Florida is a huge exception. But if you're going to leave physical evidence, do it in a place where people, you know, maybe mess up and lose it. This is a big reason why murderers are often able to get away with it. Because the crimes occur in areas where police departments are so overworked and where there's so many other crimes going on, the cops simply don't have enough time to properly investigate. I mean, I think most police officers, especially homicide investigators, care and care a lot. But, you know, I think as you go about investigating this case, I would add that to my list of questions. Like... Did they put enough resources into it? Could they have put more? Did police mess up? Or were you just dealing with a diabolical criminal? Jessica, what was your relationship like with police while you were looking into this murder? Because it sounds like part of the part of the blame for why this guy was able to get away with this for so long could be laid at the cops' feet. I was struck by how hard a lot of these homicide detectives worked these cases. You know, I was also struck, at least in Tulare County, by how many other murders they were juggling. They have like, I, you know, six or seven other murders in this town of 4,000 people at the same time. And so they don't have the same kind of resources. Um, so can you lay the blame of this at the police? I think you can lay the blame of this at, at the institutions, as is often the case. So here's our next lesson. When you're trying to figure out how to investigate a murder, remember that where a death happens is as important as what happened. Because when murderers choose locations where police are overloaded with other cases, they're more likely to get away with it. And so you need to talk to everyone who is involved in a crime, even when that's hard, to figure out what went wrong and what went right as it was investigated. I think the first thing I would do if I were you, Jen, is try to get the police reports on the murder. And then you should try to find the police officers who investigated the original case, and you should call them up and you should talk to them. Um, and it sounds like you know um, Carrie's mom, and so you should talk to her. You know, and those will be painful conversations. They will be gutting. They will be heartbreaking. Um, but you should you should ask what happened in that initial investigation. Jen, let me ask you. I mean, it sounds like these aren't just the families of the victims. These are people that you know, that you grew up alongside. Are you are you scared about talking to to Carrie's mom or family about what happened? Um, I wouldn't say scared. Um, intimidated maybe a little. Um, I want to tell Carrie's story because she's not here to tell it. Yeah. That's the the biggest thing is I, I want her her family to know that I'm I'm not using this as entertainment value. 
I think it's an interesting story that changed the area that I grew up in. And it's one that's still relevant because next January, this man's going to be going up for parole again. Does your town have its own newspaper or did it back then? Yes. Oh my gosh. What a gold mine. <laughs> it's going to be full of everything to do, not to do with the crime, but to do with like what life was like and who his family was and go back before he committed the crime, before anyone knew he was a criminal. Mm-hmm. It will allow you to paint a picture of the place he came from. Mm-hmm. I think that'd be fascinating. I, I would love to hear that story. But let me ask, and I'm sure this is something that you guys have grappled with. I know that it's it's a criticism of true crime in general. Is it this danger of glorifying the killer by by even telling his story? I mean, I, I know the name of Jose Martinez now. I don't know the name of any of his victims. Jessica, when you were writing your book, did you struggle with that? I did. It's a very difficult thing to be thinking that you're turning that into entertainment. We're fascinated by it. And in being fascinated by it, we run the risk of kind of glorifying what are pretty evil things. Why do you think that is that we're so fascinated? I mean, Jen, what is it about true crime that you think is more compelling to you than other kinds of stories? I think part of it is it gives you kind of a glimpse into the not so great stuff that happens every day. You know, we read newspaper articles about armed robberies or other terrible crimes, but then we just pass them. For me, I like to hear the background stories of of the victims, get to know them for more than what happened to them. I mean, yeah. And I think, you know, I mean, an interesting thing about the place where Jose Martinez is from um, is that there was another killer operating in that area around the same time. And it is a killer you've heard of because it's the Golden State Killer hmm. um, who was obviously, you know, rape, uh, accused of and I think has now been convicted of, you know, raping and murdering white women. Um, and, you know, just look at the difference <laughs> in which criminal and which crimes got more attention. About a year ago, I did a count of newspaper articles on the one versus the other. And it was like thousands upon thousands for the Golden State Killer and, you know, 30 or 40 for Jose Martinez. Jen, what do you think about that? Because it is interesting that the the first murder you want to examine is the murder of a a young white woman. Right. And and I I can totally see. I think my interest in in this case is more of a I relate to this victim situation. We went to the same high school. We played the same sports. We went to some of the same local places. I think I feel connected to it in that way because it, if it had happened 13 years later, you know, that, that could have been me. It sounds like this murder is very real and present for you, right? Something that shaped how you were growing up. And yet, when we focus in on these true crime stories, because they seem relatable to us, or because they seem interesting, or because it feels like it could have been us, we're creating a little bit of the conditions that allow people to get away with murder when they kill people who who we don't tell their stories as often. Do you think that's fair? I'm not sure I would go all the way towards saying our interest in true crime is the 
reason the justice system is failing. I mean, I think I would go a little bit there, which is that I think all of these institutions, including prosecutors and police and investigators, are institutions that we made and they respond to the pressures that we create. You know, to to the extent that our interest in true crime exposes our actual true convictions about what part of justice is important to us. Um, I think that's true. And I, and I think we are in a moment right now where we're really thinking about what justice means um, and what it means for everyone in our society. And so here, I think, is our final lesson. And, and it's an important one for anyone trying to figure out how someone can get away with murder or, or trying to explain why it happened. We need to recognize that the stories we tell about things like true crime, the the victims we choose to pay attention to, and the ones that we ignore, those stories impact the priorities of the institutions around us, and, and, and how police departments focus their efforts, and how much responsibility we and our neighbors feel to get involved. And so we should choose those stories really carefully. Well, Jen, you had reached out to us because you wanted... You wanted help in trying to figure out how this killer was able to get away with this crime for so long. Do you feel like this conversation has helped you? Absolutely. Just having another way to look at things. After talking with Jessica, it made me realize that there are a lot of questions that I wasn't asking. You know, I'll tell you, A, I'm so happy to hear that, but also like, you know, the craziest thing about being a reporter or a journalist or, you know, a podcaster is you just get to ask. It's nuts. Like, you'll be amazed what people will tell you if you just ask them. Thank you to Jen for sharing her ongoing investigation with us and to the wonderful Jessica Garrison for all of her fantastic advice. You should definitely look for her book, The Devil's Harvest. Do you have a problem that needs solving? If so, you should send us a note at howtoatslate.com or leave us a voicemail at 646-495-4001. How To's executive producer is Derek John. Rachel Allen is our production assistant, and Merritt Jacob is our engineer. Our theme music is by Hannes Brown. June Thomas is senior managing producer, and Alicia Montgomery is executive producer of Slate Podcasts. Gabriel Roth is Slate's editorial director of audio. Special thanks to Rosemary Belson. I'm Charles Duhigg. Thanks for listening. As a parent... Do you ever wish someone could just whisper some realistic and trustworthy support in your ear and not make you feel awful for not having all the answers? Well, that's what I'm here for. I'm Dr. Aliza Pressman, developmental psychologist, parent educator, clinical professor, and I'm a mom. My goal is to make your parenting journey less overwhelming and a lot more joyful. Please join me every Friday for new episodes of Raising Good Humans. 